Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. More interesting things in technology are, of course, going on each and every week. They're going to overhaul the H-1B visa program to try to make it so that we can keep those students who have graduate degrees in the U.S. instead of having to go back home. Mm-hmm. Robots are transforming farming, and there's a uh, there's a company that has made three robots to help farmers, you know, survey their fields, plant seeds, and then kill weeds. They, they named the, the robots Tom, Dick, and Harry. <laughs> NASA has successfully landed uh, InSight, which is their new, uh, new uh, remote vehicle. Actually, it's not a vehicle. It's just a remote, I, a remote um, landing item on Mars, and it's going to actually explore the, uh, the uh, ground of Mars below the surface. A giraffe by the name a Giraffe Hacker has hacked printers worldwide and printed out random things on them. It's kind of interesting. Now, this week we are going to feature the father of fiber optic communications, and he is the, the man that led to all the undersea cables that are connecting the world by fiber optics. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Hello, Dr. Schertz. Not a question, just a thought. <laughs> I've heard that before. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, no, not a sermon, just not a thought. A, yes. <laughs> yeah, not a question, just a thought. You might be interested in this article about space elevators. Oh, she did. <laughs> Susan knows I just love space elevators. It's way over my head. No pun intended. So to speak. So to speak. Thanks for Tech Talk Radio, Susan in Alexandria. Well, uh, Susan, uh, thanks for the article. This uh, this article shows that the continuing technical barrier to the space elevator is the cable. And they proposed the novel idea in this article to service the cable autonomously in the event of damage. But we are still waiting for carbon nanotube technology to provide the ultimate answer. Some think the space elevator will be a reality by 2050, and this will dramatically reduce the cost of space travel. Essentially, this is a, a weight which is attached with a long tether to the equator of the Earth. And as the Earth spins around, it basically throws the weight out by centrifugal force. And there's enough force with that centrifugal force that they can use that cable to move payloads up and down from up to space and back down from space. And if they can actually perfect the space elevator, it will dramatically reduce reduce the cost of space travel and getting into space because it's that booster that really is so expensive. But we don't have a cable that is strong enough to do the job and that we're waiting on carbon nanotubes for that. It looks promising, but it's probably not going to be till 2015. Well, thanks for the email. 2015 or 2050? 2050. Okay, we've already passed 2015. Yeah, what it's not going to be until 2050, yeah. I have um, a question for you yes. if you're finished with that. Yes. The thing is how neither of us will probably be around by 2050. Uh-huh. Are you thinking about having yourself cryogenically frozen so you're here for the space elevator? No, I'm not really planning on that because I have not seen anybody successfully come out of cryogenic freezing. I think they've debunked that, haven't they? I don't think that. I don't think that's really going to work. Okay. But all right. Yeah, not, that's really not not my plan. That would be a. I, I think that would be ask, that would be a, that would be a bad plan. Inquiring minds want that to would know. be a bad plan. We got an email from Jim in Bowie. Dear Tech Talk, our disk drive is split into C and D drives, and they both have like thirty and. 40 gigabytes. Now, we, we save uh, all of our stuff on the D drive, but the C drive is, 
is almost full. There's only 540 megabytes left. Now, apart from the five gigabytes of photos that I've got on it, I, I can't figure out what's taking up all the memory. What are my options? Thanks, Jim and Bowie. Well, Jim, as you collect pictures and programs, uh, and programs themselves collect data, more disk space is consumed unless files are deleted. And with so much happening on our computers these days, it's almost impossible to simply and quickly realize what is exactly taking up space. Fortunately, there is a free tool that can help you. It's called Tree Size Free. Tree Size Free. It's a free tool that will show you what's taking up all the space on your machine. Now, a paid version is available with additional features, but I would just get the free version. Download Tree Size Free from Jam Software and install it. On completion of the installation, of your uh, uh, on, uh, on completion of the installation, you're given an option to run it or run it as an administrator. As I, I would run it as an administrator. It scans your hard drives. It updates the display in real time. The primary information is a list of all the top-level folders on the C drive and the amount of space consumed. And it's they're sorted by decreasing disk space, so you can see what your biggest consumers of space are. Once you know what's used, you can decide what to delete. Uh, I'd just move all your pictures over to the other drive. That'd be the first good option. We got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Hi, Dr. Shirts. An app to record business. I've got an app to record business cards, but it's locked into one of iPhone's contacts. And I don't know, and I don't know whether what it does with, with the Android. I would like to separate personal contacts from business contacts. Do you know of an app that can record business cards separately from personal contacts? that runs parallel on the personal side. Tech Talk never ceases to come through with some interesting and useful information. Keep it up. Thanks, Arnie. Well, Arnie, <clears throat> contacts can be organized into groups on the iPhone or iPad to make it easier to find them. However, Apple has made it very hard to figure out how to set up a group <laughs> because you actually can't set up the group while you're on the iPhone or the iPad. What you have to do you have to go to the iCloud account with your laptop or your computer. And you log into the iCloud account. And as soon as you log into the iCloud account, you'll see icons there. One of the icons is contacts. Click on contacts. Those will be the same contacts that are on your iPhone. And on, and on the lower left corner, there's a little plus sign. You click on that, and it will say add new contact or add new group. That's different. It's not, that group option is not on your iPhone. So click on Add New Group and type Personal. Then click on it again and say Add New Group and then type Business. And then what you do, you take all the contacts that are showing and you drag them over to either Business or Personal. And then when you go back to the iPhone and you look at your contacts, just click Unclick all the groups. Go to click on groups in your contacts there, and, and magically you'll see personal and business groups appear. Appears almost instantly once you set up in the iCloud. Now just check business, and only your business contacts will be there, or check personal, only your personal contacts. That's actually a pretty easy way to do it. You can also do it by by changing the contact by working on your contact application in your Mac but it's but you can go to the iCloud with with any particular computer hope that helps you oh by the way if you want to create a new contact and put it directly into business or personal what you want to do is click business say only and unclick all the other ones and then when you create a new contact whatever group is active at that moment that contact will go into that group so it's very easy to to put them in. We got an email from Jim in Michigan. Dear Tech Talk, why does antivirus software quarantine viruses and malware instead of just deleting it? I think it'd be better and safer just to get rid of them. Uh, can I manually remove the quarantine, quarantine items? Enjoy the podcast, Jim in Michigan. Well, anti-malware applications do provide a quarantine option, which is often the default for two reasons. First of all, Keeping a backup of identified threats, you want to keep a backup of the identified threats in case it's a false positive. Sometimes they'll identify some program that's really not a virus, and you want to keep it so that you can simply then re you can basically then move it out of quarantine and put it back on the hard drive in case of a false positive. I have not had any false positives in in, in my instances, but there are I have heard of cases where there are false positives, so that's 
That's one reason. Also, having the quarantine items may allow them to be further investigated. So, like, if this particular, if the signature of this particular virus has not been uh, noted by the by the antivirus uh, company, or it's not in the database, uh, they will um, they'll send a copy of it for further investigation. But actually, you can you can delete them. I, I usually I, I'll take a look at what's in quarantine and if. If there are no false positives and, I've ha- and I have not had any, I'll delete them. It will tell me whether, ask me whether I want to send it to the antivirus company. I'll always send a copy of it there first, and then I'll delete it. It's a good question. I've got an email from Peter in Dallas. Dear Doc and Jim, I recently heard that location data is stored on my digital pictures. I upload many pictures of the Internet. How can I get rid of this information before I upload it? Enjoy the show of Peter in Dallas. Well, Peter... You, you need to scrub the D- GPS data from your photos. Now, GPS data is embedded in the EXIF data. That's called the Exchangeable Image Format File. Exchangeable Image File, XIF. And, um, and so it's, it's stored in that section of the, of the, of the image. So, and, and so anybody who looks at your image can look at the EXIF data and they can see exactly where you're located. Now, the good news is that if you upload an image to the majority of popular social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the EXIF data is automatically deleted. But actually, I wouldn't trust somebody else to delete it. I'd delete it myself before I uploaded it. Yeah, really. Now, now there are two things you can do. If you're really worried about this thing, you can simply turn location services off for your camera, and then when you take the picture, the location will not be attached to the image. Now, I like to leave my location image because then I can sort it by location, and it's a lot easier to sort through photos, especially when you've been on vacation. You can sort them by location. So I leave it on. Now, you can delete it. There's an application called View. EXIF, View EXIF is an iPhone application. It costs 99 cents, so you can download that, and then you can look at your photos, and you can view the EXIF data, and it gives you an option to delete any of the metadata that you want. So you could simply, you could click on it. It gives you an option to uh, to either delete it or to share it without the metadata on it. And so that's actually probably your best option if you want to get rid of that metadata. Uh, it turns out Google Play Store has also a, a photo EXIF editor. It's free. You can download it. Same thing. You can either remove it or you can share it with after it's been removed. It gives you those two options. And then you won't have any issues with people finding out where you took your photos. We got an email from Tom and Kilmarnock. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard about Wi-Fi calling. And uh, what is it, and how can I use it? Will my iPhone support it? Enjoy the show, Tom with Kilmarnock. Well, Wi-Fi calling is a feature that allows phone calls to come in through the Wi-Fi network that you are that you are using, and your carriers have to support it. So, if you have Wi-Fi calling enabled, if somebody calls your number, it will go through the internet, through the Wi-Fi, and your phone will ring. And if you make a phone call with Wi-Fi calling out, your call will go out through your Wi-Fi access point. The beauty of this is that many people don't have good cell phone access in their homes. Mm-hmm. So if you've got Wi-Fi calling on, you've got great yeah. phone access now because you've got Wi-Fi over, over through the whole house. So what you have to do, but you have to turn it on. So you have to turn on Wi-Fi calling. And so you, you basically go to settings and then go to phone and then go to Wi-Fi calling and turn it on. And... You might also, if you do a lot of traveling, you might say that you prefer Wi-Fi calling while roaming. Then that way you could continue to get your your call your U.S. calls even in foreign countries without paying roaming charges. No kidding. And so if you set up Wi-Fi call, uh-huh. it automatic. If you're linked in linked into a Wi-Fi system somewhere, right. you automatically you, you you automatically get it. Mm-hmm. Now, but if but but you. If you're worried about getting these expensive charges internationally, you say prefer Wi-Fi calling because if you don't say that and the Wi-Fi signal is a little bit weak and cellular is stronger, it'll just flip over to cellular. You want to stay on Wi-Fi if you don't want to pay those those roaming charges. Mm -hmm. So what happens is when you get to a new Wi-Fi network, your phone goes to the Wi-Fi access point and it establishes connection with your carrier and it registers that Wi-Fi access point with your carrier so your carrier knows 
to forward phone calls to that access point. So there's that double action that's going on. Now, that means that your carrier has to know that you want Wi-Fi calling, so they will enable that call forwarding feature. So you actually have to go to the carrier and turn it on. Now, it's free, but most of the carriers leave it off by default because they figure if you don't want to use it, why should we go through all that trouble of setting up a connection? So if you if Sprint supports it, T-Mobile supports it, AT&T and Verizon, but you'll have to actually go to the carrier, turn on Wi-Fi calling, and then come back to your phone and enable Wi-Fi calling. Mm. But it's a great feature for people that have got spotty cell phone connections. Listen, the, um, yes. I had a question about that, and it's already gone. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, there's something that it went right, right in and out of my mind. I, I know a lot of people who, who just struggled with this uh, weak cell phone connection in their house, and they were trying to get, you know, cell phone extenders and all yeah. sorts of that other thing. And once Wi-Fi ca- calling came in, it just solved their problem. And um, I use it when I travel. So now I can travel because I'm always in a hotel or in a business where I've got Wi-Fi. So I can get my phone calls at the Virginia, you know, you know at my U.S. number, say in India, and I don't pay a penny because it all comes through Wi-Fi calling. So it has really made a big difference for me. I know what the question was, and it, it has nothing to do with Wi-Fi calling, but I was in a group of people at a party the other day, and uh, I was trying to clear out the room mm-hmm. like you do. Yeah. Uh, and somebody had said, I don't think phones have um, um, SIM cards in them anymore. Is that true? Cell phones. No, so cell phones have SIM they cards. Still, they still have SIM cards. Even the new, even the newest versions still have a SIM card in them. Okay, now, well, let me just, uh, let me just, I got to clarify this. Apple is coming out with a where they're basically putting the SIM card on a on, on an integrated circuit. Uh, so for, you can't take it out of the. No, but you can program it, mm-hmm. and it supports and it supports up to four different numbers. Oh, it supports two different carriers, so you could you could have two different carriers supporting it. Here is here is the big. Uh, let, let me explain the politics of SIM cards. Okay. When they first came out with the GSM cell phones, they could have not had a SIM card and let it be programmable just like CDMA. But the phone company said, "No, we want people to come to us and get a SIM card that's only for us. Right. And then we won't let the people change it." So the phone companies insisted on SIM cards in order to get more control over the phone, and take control away from the owner of the phone. So when did they stop putting the removable SIM cards in the phones? So in almost all, the Apple, the Apple iPhone X is the first one to have this programmable system in it. So what what that guy was talking about was the iPhone X. Okay. And so and so that actually has a programmable SIM card chip and and it will it will support multiple carriers. So that's the only one at this point. Yeah, that's the only one. It's gradually. So like my now, and I decided not to say anything because I didn't want to look stupid. Now yeah. I can look smart yeah. because I know you. So so like this iPhone six that I've got. Mm, uh, turn it's, it off, by it, the way. It's it's got a <laughs> it, oh yeah. It it, it, it it has a SIM card in it. Uh-huh. It's all it's a it's a Verizon phone, so it's got CDMA. Code Division Multiple Access, as well as GSM, Global System for Mobile. And the GSM is a European standard. CDMA is the Qualcomm standard. Uh-huh. And so my phone has both of them. So for the GSM, I've got to have the SIM card. And uh, and then the CDMA, of course, you can just you can just program that to a new number. And you don't need a SIM card for CDMA. You know what's funny? What's the that? two guys on the tech show both have iPhone 6s. I know. We have I have plateaued. Here Here's the thing. I... Um, this phone is perfectly suitable yeah. for me, except I have started using my cell phone to take, you know, to take really nice photographs, and I blow them up on canvas. And I'm thinking that I might upgrade to the iPhone 10 for the camera only. Uh, you know, it's really funny you should say that because one of my best friends sent me a, a note the other day and said that he got an iPhone X because he'd been waiting and waiting and waiting, and apparently <laughs> Best Buy had a sale. He had some sort of a... A, a coupon from uh-huh. AT and T or Verizon, and so he got it for one or two hundred bucks or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. So he and he sent me some pictures. He was over PWI taking pictures of jets going in and out. Unbelievable quality. They are Amazing. really good. And the iPhone X has the optical zoom, two X optical zoom, which is that's always the issue. the The field of view is too wide if you're mm-hmm. trying to t- take pictures of something very far away. And then using digital zoom, you're actually losing quality. So it's got the two X optical zoom plus the digital zoom. So 
I'm probably going to get the iPhone X, but only for, for the, the camera. camera. That's, That's right. That's funny. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Wait, is that Christmas music? Oh, yeah. We're getting in the mood. Oh, yes. It's Tech Talk Radio. It's Saturday morning. We're on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Charles Kuhn Coe. Cow, K-A-O is his last name. Cow, Charles Kuhn Cow. Charles is best known as father of fiber optic communications. Charles Cao was born November 4th, 1933 in Shanghai, China. He studied classics at home with his brother under their tutor. He also studied English and French at an international school in Shanghai. His parents wanted to become very sophisticated when he grew up. His family moved to Taiwan in 1948 and then to Hong Kong. He completed his secondary education at St. Joseph's College in Hong Kong in 1952. He got a Bachelor of Science in EE, Electrical Engineering, in 1956 from the University of Greenwich, and his Ph.D. in Electrical Engineering in 1965 from the University of London. Now, while he was working on his Ph.D. program, he was working at the Standard Telephone and Cables Company, STC, He was working at their research center in Harlow, UK, and that's where he did his groundbreaking work. In the early 1960s at STC, along with George Hockham, Cal demonstrated that the high loss of existing fiber optics arose from impurities rather than scattering. See, the issue was that people said you could never have fiber optics that would be suitable for long-distance communication because it's the light is going to scatter off the surface, and scattering is going to be so bad that nothing's going to come out of the other, and, it's, and so there's going to be high attenuation of the light caused by scattering, and that can't be fixed very easily or can't be fixed at all. But he discovered that the loss was actually not from scattering. It was from impurities. Now, you can get rid of impurities. So that started a whole direction of research that he, that he pursued. He concluded that fiber attenuation could be lower than 20 dB per kilometer rather than the 1,000 dB per kilometer that was commonly achieved at the time. So people thought he was crazy to say he could ever get attenuation less than 20 dB per kilometer. He decided that the ideal candidate for fiber optic communication would be fused silica, SiO2. S-silicon dioxide, SiO2, fused silica. And, uh, and, he thought, and, he need, and he felt that he needed to make high, p- 
purity fused silica for this to work. So he and George Hockham first published their pioneering works, works in they did, first in 1965, then in 1966, where they demonstrated fused silica that could produce less than 20 dB per kilometer attenuation in the fiber. He proposed long-distance fiber optic communication um, that, that could actually go thousands of miles. And people just laughed at him. They said, you are crazy. <laughs> but Cal was an evangelist for low-loss fiber optics. He went to research labs all over the world, and the key was glass. So he went to glass manufacturers all over the world, trying to convince them to pursue high-purity silica for long-distance fiber optic communication. And he got some takers. He came to Bell Labs, and they thought he was crazy. Bell Labs, by the way, was a big competitor of STC, and they were skeptical. They said, we're not going to even mess with it. Then in 1969, Cal, along with M.W. Jones, measured the intrinsic loss of bulk fused silica at 4 dBs per kilometer. And that's the first evidence of ultra-highly transparent glass. And finally, Bell Labs said, okay, I guess this fiber optics is okay. And they came on board. But he had worked like three years to try to get some, somebody to, um, to buy into this. Then finally in 19... But of course, he made that high-purity silica in the lab. He needed a glass manufacturer to make it so they could make, you know, a high volume of fiber optics for this thing to be successful. He convinced Corning Glass to do research. And then a year later, in 1970, Corning Glass produced the first commercially visible fiber, commercially viable fiber with an attenuation of less than 20 dBs per kilometer. Now, they used gallium arsenide lasers operating at 0.9 micron as the, as the light source. I used to grow those in my own. That's my own research, gallium arsenide lasers. I, I had my really? Own little, I had my own little oven, used liquid phase epitaxy. And the, and the term is you grow them. Yeah, they're, they're crystals. You grow them. Yeah, you <laughs> grow them. And you start a substrate, and then you put, you know, you... You, you would you, grow them in your apartment. Yeah, you grow them. Is Wait, there no. anything else you would grow in your apartment? Would you? <laughs> no, that's yeah, it. No, no, I wouldn't grow them in the... What you do, you, you take you take an oven, uh-huh. and, you put some, and you put gallium, which, of course, when you heat it up is liquid. You drop in a little bit of arsenic in the gallium. And then you've got gallium with arsenic in it sitting on top of a substrate, and then you cool it down very slowly, and then gallium arsenide crystals form on top of the substrate Correct as you cool me. it down. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it arsenic dangerous stuff? If you eat it. <laughs> okay. People, well, I won't be making it, silverware out of arsenic then. If, if you're very, you know, I spent years on with arsenic, and, you know, I haven't turned out... It didn't out, affect I you at all. <laughs> no, it didn't, didn't affect me. Yeah, and I said, <laughs> so, you know, I see gallium arsenide just makes me happy to see that written. I also, I also use gallium aluminum arsenide lasers. We'd make little heterojunctions out of them, little, little waveguides in there. Ultimately, they dropped the. Let's get off me. This is about Charles Cowell. Ultimately, they dropped the uh, attenuation in the fiber down to 0.2 dB per kilometer. And Cowell's original hypothesis was really validated, and that made it viable. He predicted, he predict, in 1983, he predicted there'd be undersea fiber optic cables, and he was five years ahead of his time. Now, the other thing that he did, he was a proponent of. Single mode fibers. See, when light goes through a fiber optic, it's it 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 has different modes of operation. Like one mode, one mode of light going down the fiber goes straight down the fiber. Then there's a higher order mode that bounces off the the edges of the fiber, kind of bounces down. And then there's another mode that bounces at a steeper angle, and another mode that bounces at a steeper and a steeper angle until finally it can't bounce anymore because it it escapes the fiber. So you'll have multiple modes that, that can be carried by the fiber, and they bounce at different angles. And so as you would expect, they travel down the fiber at different speeds because if it bounces back and forth, it's going to travel down the fiber at a slower rate than one that goes straight down the fiber. So if you would have a very narrow pulse in a multimode fiber, over time, those modes would spread out because they would spread the pulse out because they're traveling at different speeds, and that would limit the bandwidth of the fiber. 
So when he recognized that you could get low-loss fibers that would go long distances, he said the only way to go and the only way to take advantage of that low-loss is to have single-mode fibers. Interesting. And ultimately, he prevailed. And all of our long-range fiber optics, single-mode fibers. So he, this is a case. It's not just... So he was a materials guy, but he affected change by being an evangelist. And when people laughed at him... He just ignored it and just kept on punching through, making it happen, going around, you know, making the case. And ultimately, he changed minds, changed opinions, and he was technically correct. That's the, you know, that's the way to change the minds of the of the naysayers is to just go do it and prove that it works. Just go do it. Yeah. So so some people called him the master of light. Other people <laughs> called him the, the father of fiber optics communication. Some people call him the uh, the. Uh, father of high bandwidth communication. But he what the, the thing I like about Charles Cow is that it's that's it's I like to see when somebody really believes in a technology and they push it until they actually achieve an innovation. See it's one thing to invent and then the idea doesn't go anywhere, but it's the rare person who can invent something, invent something and then actually get it in production so it makes a difference, and that's true innovation. So he was a true innovator. Um, he joined, uh, uh, later in life, he joined the Chinese University of Hong Kong. That was in 1970, uh, and he founded there the uh, Electrical Engineering Department. In 1974, he moved back to the U.S. to ITT Corporation in Roanoke, Virginia, and he was the first chief scientist and then director of engineering at ITT. By the way, ITT is the parent company of STC, where he worked originally. Ah. From 87 to 80 to 96, he was vice chancellor of the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, Cal then went to work as CEO of TransTech, and, uh, and then he moved on to work, as C, uh, work at ITech's, uh, ITech Services. Cal was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics for Fibroptic Communication in 2009. The big who is he? It was a joint award. The 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 guy that invented um, charge coupled devices, charge coupled d detectors, which which are used, CCDs are used for for many of these um, uh, detectors. Uh, also got some of that prize. He has two children. Both of them are living in Silicon Valley. Cal was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2009. That was the year he got the uh, Nobel Prize. And he died just last month, September, a couple of months ago, September 2018. His hobby while he was working was uh, making uh, chi traditional Chinese handwork in pottery, pottery. In pottery. So there you go. Charles Cow, he was uh, a real innovator in fiber optic communication. And I love the way the man fought for his idea until ultimately was accepted. And now Bell Labs, who originally poo-pooed the idea, they're a big fiber optic proponent because all their long-distance communication over fiber. Listen, we... Oh. Yes. I was just going to say, well, we love that you're listening to us. Yes. You could, yeah, that's what you were about to say. Yeah, and okay. if you were listening and paying attention, you could turn the knowledge into free lunch by playing the pop quiz coming up here on Tech Talk Radio. Uh, we're on uh, the Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. Watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Please sit down. Sit down. Now, quit, you don't have to wave those fibers around. You know, <laughs> they, they, they brought in these little fiber optic lights, you know, that, that, yes. that and they're waving Is them that, around. Never mind. I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> Continue on before oh, I get yes. into trouble. Welcome back to now what is what we have is classroom of the airways. Yes. This is not simply a radio show. No. And if it's a classroom of the airways, we have to have a knowledge assessment of the airways. We do that with a pop quiz. Yes. And if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get tickets to fine dining at one of the Stratford University uh, dining rooms in the area. And all you have to do is give us the right answer. Yes, now you must ask the question. Oh yes. There's that part. Now, you know, you oh, you, you oh, must professor. get you must guess what question we have in our mind. Yes. No, that's okay, not earlier work. in the show I was talking about Charles Quinn Cowell. He of course is the uh, father of something. And the question is, what is he best known as father of? If you know the answer to today's question, well that's just great. We implore you to reach out to us now with the answer by calling us telephonically. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia. It's 877-936-9333. If you're listening to your Celine Dion Christmas compilation in <laughs> Canada, call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. And even though it never works right, the international line is 877-9-3639-333 or 1-800-EGNOG. And, of course, if you are in a house without Wi-Fi calling and without good cellular connection, right. you can reach us with Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. Yes, indeed. So I have to make a one correction. You do. Apple's next generation phone is not going to have the SIM card. Oh, so the iPhone X does have the SIM card. Oh, so there currently are no phones. Yeah, currently no. Ah, so the uh, the iPhone X does have uh, does have uh, a SIM card in it. And there was some discussion whether they would support a double SIM card, but it looks like they just have a single SIM card. Many of the phones in Europe uh, support two SIM cards, so you can have your a business number. And a, and, a, and, a, and a personal number. But I was I looked up the iPhone X just to double check, and it turns out that I was uh, wrong. Whoa! It's a but it's the a, date. But this the software SIM card Apple has talked about for years, and I think it's coming out in the next generation. And they have to basically negotiate with all the carriers. Mm. You see, they're trying to—Apple's uh, philosophy is let's make it more convenient for the user rather than for the carrier. So it's a— Further negotiation. Gotcha. So let's talk about uh, something here that was. Let's talk about NASA successfully lands Insight on Mars. Okay. Now this is a this is a lander. It's called uh, it's a nine hundred and ninety three million dollar uh, project, and it landed on the Martian plane named the Elysium 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 Planitia Elysium Planitia. Yeah, have you been there? No, they 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 plan for this to be a two-year mission, and it's aimed at understanding the interior of Mars. Now it sits slightly tilted; it's in a little shallow uh, uh, indentation filled with dust and sand, 
and they're hopeful that it's two main instruments. It's got a it's got an earthquake sensor, and it has a device that will that they push into the surface to measure the heat below the surface. So they're going to measure vibrations and heat of the interior portion of Mars to try to understand what's going on there. This will be a two-year a two-year project. This was actually quite an impressive um, feat because the 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 um, atmosphere on Mars is 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 not very dense. So parachutes don't work very well. So they, they they brought it down, they slowed it down, and then they released it with a parachute. And then just before landing, some thrusters turned on because it, they would if it would hit the ground too hard with just the parachute. Some thrusters turned on, and it lowered uh, lowered the device down very gently. So everything had to work perfectly. They had to release. They had to, the, re, they had to go into the right trajectory, release it at the right time. The parachute had to open, and the thrusters had to turn it at the right moment. And that what they called that seven minutes of terror, and it came through it successfully. So that was a big, big win for NASA. We do not have an answer yet, so if you would please, Doctor, yes. ask the question once again. Charles Kuhn Cow, of course, is the father of something. And if you can remember what he is father of, other than his children, <laughs> <laughs> you you will win tickets to fine dining. All right. Okay. Fiber optics. Come That's, on, guys. This isn't that hard. 877 <laughs> Now, the... Uh, the the U.S. government has taken the first steps to overhaul the H-1B visa program. On November 30th, the CVS and Homeland Security released a proposed rule that makes changes to the H-1B visa program. It would prioritize applications for workers, so those who have advanced degrees from American universities would be favored. The policy would change the application process and the way companies apply for it. Instead of Completing a petition for a new employee, companies would register for for a um, for a place for a free online entry in the H-1B lottery. Now, immigration law caps the number of H-1B visas to sixty-five thousand. They got an additional twenty thousand that can be awarded with, to master's degrees or PhDs. Under the new system, USCIS would, re- would review all applications including those for workers with advanced degrees during the registra- registration period before the actual petitions are filed. The change to the review process would likely increase the number of beneficiaries with a master's degree or degree from U.S. institutions. In other words, they would filter those H-1Bs that are eligible for the lottery. There has been a problem that many of these uh, staffing firms have inundated the system with registry attempts, and they're trying to actually give the direct employers better control over the H-1B process. This is actually, I think, a, a good system that should really help students and help U.S. industry. All right. We don't have an answer yet. Uh, Doc, if you would ask the question Earlier in once the show, again. I was talking about Charles Kuhn Cow. He's best known as father of what? Okay. That is the thing. Father, Father of, of what? what? I'm going to ask an alternate question since you're striking okay. out with yours. Mine is, what did Dr. Shirt used to grow in his apartment? Okay. 877-936-9333. 877-936-9333. This is Tech Talk Radio. We're on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now, let's talk about how robots are going to transform farming. Uh-huh. There's a British startup company called the Small Robot Company, and it's developing lightweight autonomous machines to carry out precision seeding, feeding, and weeding in the hopes of transforming <laughs> food production. Now, they developed the four-wheel robot, dubbed Tom, that uses <laughs> GPS and artificial intelligence and smartphone technology to digitally map the field. Now, in 2019, they're going to release two more robots. They're going to be Dick and Harry. Now, Dick will deliver fertilizer directly to the soil around the roots instead of wasteful blanket spraying or laser micro-spray chemicals to kill the weeds. Harry will insert seeds into the earth at a uniform depth and spacing, eliminating the need for tractors to plow, to plow, you know, plow up the fields. So a farmer could plant his entire field with Tom, Dick, and Harry with all uh, under AI control. And the beauty of it is they can actually go out and pick weeds. They can deliver fertilizer very localized. So uh-huh. they, they can use less fertilizer, less pest- pesticides, and plus lowering costs in terms of labor. So these, these technologies are going to dramatically transform farming. Okay. All right. We're going to try something revolutionary and dangerous on the air. We're going to ask the question first. Let's go. We're going to go to line one. This is Lewis. Lewis, good morning. How are you, sir? Yes, good morning. How are you? Doing well. Yes. Dr. Schertz, if yes. you want to ask the question. Yeah, earlier in the show, I talked about Charles Quinn Cow. Uh, he was father of what was the first question. And the second question was. What did Dr. Schertz used to grow in his apartment? Yes. Selenium. What's that? Selenium. I can't make out what you're saying. Selenium. Selenium? Yes. Is that correct, Doc? No, I'm the, I grew gallium arsenide. Okay, well, that's... Oh, I shouldn't have said it. Oh! <laughs> okay, well, that... Well, so, uh, sorry about that, uh, on, Lewis. On, on. Uh, we're going to go down the line to Ken. Ken, uh, the second question is now invalid because you have the answer. What, what is the answer to the first question? Uh, fiber optics. Correct. That is correct. Yes, indeed. No, wait a minute. Well, yeah, the father of... Yeah, okay. That is correct. Belated. There we go. All right, hang on, Ken. We're gonna send you back to, to Andrew. All right. Well, that was hard. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and on the web at Stratford.edu. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. We'll be right back. I think. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talk, t- talking technology. And we, we, we owe Lewis an apology, Doc. What do, you, what do you think Lewis was trying to tell us? Uh, he was trying to say silicate. 
Which is w- close. W- which is what the fiber optic is made out of, but it's not what I grew in my apartment. No. It's... <laughs> Actually, I was in a lab, to tell you the truth. I was just being a wise guy. I I get it. I'm glad you didn't have arsenic in your apartment, because we might not be sitting here today. Mm -mm. Although, you know, they use arsenic as a a medicine in small doses. It sort of darkens your skin. It's sort of like uh, people use Botox to get rid of, uh, you know, which is a poison to get rid of wrinkles. So arsenic darkens your skin? In very, very low doses. So some people... I don't know if they're I don't know I don't know I really don't know if they're if they're doing that But why now. would you why to, what's the what would be the purpose of that Just to look better I mean what's the purpose it's of like putting a George poison Hamilton thing? What's the purpose of putting a poison in your face like botox which is That's a very true. deadly poison But uh you know I never Whatever. I well, that's from I two actually wrinkled never, old men so. I never I never did anything like that with my arse. I noticed. I just left it in the I just left it in the oven. Well, you're pretty pasty so uh, I'm that's right. <laughs> Nist has created a new atomic clock with incredible precision. I know you've been oh, worried about this. Uh, yeah, I know Jim you well, you said I'm worried about the, the our, is our atomic clock, you know, powerful my, and accurate enough. My clocks run on Everetti, so and I, they are not a, But this is but this this, this is, atomic clock is so accurate that it can actually measure the warp in space-time. This whoa, is this is, wow, this dude. is the amazing thing. Okay, the first atomic clock was created in 1955 and it uses Cesium-133 atoms. You didn't grow any of that, did you? No, I didn't grow any cesium-133. Now, cesium-133 absorbs energy at a particular wavelength, which if you're at a particular wavelength, which is 3.2 centimeters. And when you give it light or something at that wavelength, it oscillates at a frequency of around 9 billion times a second. Mm -hmm. And that frequency of oscillation when you when you excited with a 3.2 centimeter wave is used as the pendulum of a clock in other words and that you get something that's very accurate okay as the electron transitions between a high and a low energy state over 9 billion times a second and that was the original atomic clock using that oscillation to define time so this will this will replace the clock that nobody's going to be able to get to because they turn off the now 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 here's it now there are there are currently four cesium atomic clocks in each of the GPS satellites because in order for GPS to work they have to have very accurate time so each GPS satellite has four atomic clocks built into it and they're used to synchronize time on our cell phones and billion of other internet connections wow. around the world now the new clock that NIST made instead of using uh, cesium uses Uses it, terbium uses terbium Never atoms. Heard of terbium. terbium atoms, yeah, it's, an, it's another element. Terbium atoms, it's a silent Y. Uses terbium atoms, and um, and it is much much more accurate. In fact, time shifts by one point one quintillionth of a second wow. can be measured. Now, now now it turns out that every time you move one centimeter higher above the Earth. Time shifts by 1.1 quintillionth of a second, and this clock can measure it. Hmm. Because what happens is that in the general theory of relativity with the space-time warp, the closer you are to a mass, the slower time becomes. Interesting. And the and the further away you are, the faster. And so as you move closer to the mass, time slows down, and you can actually measure with this clock the difference just between one centimeter in height in speed, so you are actually measuring the warping of space-time with this clock. First, I'd like to apologize for not memorizing the uh, <laughs> periodic table, and I would like to ask you this question now. So, so if you go, suppose you put people out in outer space, mm-hmm. right, and they mm-hmm. live there for a while, does mm-hmm. that mean they will age at a different rate? Yeah. So, if you have two brothers, one stays here, and then one, and then one goes in outer space, and he comes back. Uh, you know, yeah, they'll 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 actually age at different rates. Time is not absolute. But you age at that different rate when you're away from Earth. When you come back, you return to... No. You would actually still... Be, you'd be a different age. So so they had that one brother that was circling... They had two brothers, one circling in a satellite. They came back there. Maybe they were like a tenth of a second difference in age when he came back. Okay. So their time is, time is not absolute. But... When he returns here, he will he will resume aging at the rate at which he aged 
previously. Yeah. Okay. That's but but he'll be a slightly different age than his brother. Who yes. Sta- who his stayed, twin brother. His twin brother who stayed mm-hmm. here. And so and so you can you, you can change the speed of time by either by either by velocity by going very fast or by getting close to a to a to a very we, heavy mass. We are just. This is we are so deep today. Space elevator. I time. Know. So the so the thing is, it's very hard to get your your mind around the the warping of space time. Yes, because it doesn't it doesn't conform to our just our normal observations. Right. Mm-hmm. And and it turns out like the the whole attraction of 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 planets with gravity comes out of the space time warping. That's what it's. That's actually what Einstein was trying to get at. Well, what is gravity? Mm-hmm. And it comes out of the space time warping. So this apparent attraction of masses is caused by the warping of space-time. Wow. And so that was the big that was the big revelation in general relativity. And then of course at the other end of the spectrum you got quantum mechanics. And a very small things. And the big conundrum in physics is that it's very hard to have one theory that predicts both gravity through the space-time warping as well as the quantum effects. Mm-hmm. And so they are Physicists are searching for the grand unification theory of those two theories that brings them together, and that's the big challenge for physics at this moment. Wow. Anyway, I don't know how I it's, got off it, all on this that. Ton, well, I think I got you there, but You'd, that's all right. Now let's talk about the giraffe that okay. hacked printers around the world. Thousands that's the of other printers. End of the spectrum here. Thousands of printers have been hacked over the weekend by <laughs> by the hacker giraffe. <laughs> He opened up a Twitter account and retweeted images of his successful takeover of other people's printers. Now, so he printed something An on printers giraffe. around the world. No, his, his name is the Hacker Giraffe. Oh. He's a hacker. I don't know. Well, it could See, be a giraffe. I've never seen a picture well, of him. Well, giraffes don't have opposable thumbs, so he couldn't yeah. use a keyboard. So. so he opened up a Twitter account, the Hacker Giraffe, and he retweeted images of, the, uh, of, of, the, of what he printed on all these printers. And he explained exactly how he did it. First of all, he went to this website, shodan.io, S-H-O-D-A-N.io, and this scanned for devices worldwide that had port 9100 open. You see, a lot of the new printers, you can print remotely over the Internet, and you use port 9100. And it turned, and that port number, it basically... There's a hole in the firewall that lets mm. outside traffic come through the firewall and go directly to the printer if it's directed toward port 9100. And so once he had a list of all the open port 9100s, he created a he got another program and he, and he downloaded it from GitHub called Pret P R E T and that allowed him to connect to these printers and to print a PDF document. And he also could change the display on the printer that said hacked. So after he took over the printer and printed out whatever he wanted to print, the printer displayed hacked, and then and then he quit. Now he was surprised, and he and he wrote a little um, a little bot to just go after, you know, each of these ones with 9100 printed. And he ended up doing it worldwide. He was surprised that he did it. You might want to know what he printed out. What he, did printed he print out, out? A little advertising for PewDD. PewDD. He's a uh, he's what in a, the he, world he, is that? He's a YouTube guy. PewDD. PewDiePie. No, PewDiePie. PewDiePie. Like PewDiePie. PewDiePie. There we go. PewDiePie. There we go. End on that note. There we go. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and check out the Stratford University program. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples... 
Temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.